This is part two of an interview with former Cook County Clerk David Orr, recorded by phone earlier this year about his time serving on Chicago City Council's 49th Ward Alderman under Chicago Mayor Harold Washington in the 1980s. Part one ran on Monday. Well, one of the real important things, like I said, while, while major development continued under Harold and uh, I think significant development, um, by bringing in Rob Meir and uh, Elizabeth, oh, what's Elizabeth's last name? Um, Elizabeth, the planning commissioner, will come mm-hmm. back. Uh, anyway, um, they, they had a whole different approach. It was more of a bottom-up approach, which in my mind is really good. That you, you can't just let the commercial interests kind of run the day. You want their influence, you want their two cents, but it really needs to be done for it's actually better for everybody. Because so many of the plans in Chicago and other cities, frankly, have, you know, led to things like uh, what's happened with CHA, just, you know, where people are driven out and property that was used to house, uh, let's say, poor people has turned into, you know, rich enclaves. And, um, so anyway, it was uh, one of the unique points in the nation, and a lot has been written about it, how they really started really kind of a bottom-up approach to development and planning. Um, and frankly, I think that would have gone a lot further had he, had he lived longer. Um, and it was it was lots of things that didn't get a lot of coverage. It was like to help the average person uh, in so many ways. I mean, uh, laws were passed that, you know, to protect women and stuff that uh, a lot of us had to have peepholes. But they had to have locks on screen doors when women were raped because... Uh, People came in the windows. Just uh, there was really a lot on the housing front. Remember, Danny Davis was always uh, and reforming housing court. That was important because uh, housing court was really atrocious at the time. Um, you know, the play of legislative things were significant. I think the way the budget was handled uh, was much better. Um, and uh, one of the great successes for him is uh, because since the uh, and then the sense of majority in this case wanted to make sure he was defeated in 87. Uh, they didn't want to let anything go through. And so one of the biggest stories of his administration was a big bond issue. And one of the things that Harold tried to do, like many mayors do, is they want to have a big bond issue to fix a variety of things. I mean, what they needed fixed on the northwest side was different than the southeast side. Uh, but he pushed that, and they delayed it, and they admitted they delayed it because they didn't want to do anything that looked good. But gradually, with all of Harold's campaigning and enough pressure, uh, people said, wait a second, we need these things fixed. So finally, he was successful in passing this uh, major bond issue, but it really helped him also bolster the political view of fairness, okay, that uh, the that rich parts of the uh, northwest side, they're going to be treated fairly, Um the same as everybody. So that was a, a major thing. Um, another really major accomplishment that's not necessarily in the legislative camp is that we've never had a time in our history, now maybe that'll change in the next year or so with the new mayor, we've never had a chi- time when average people, particularly African Americans, paid attention to the political world. And um, I, for people who aren't around them, they just can't understand how it was just people were glued to this. You know, when, when Harold gave us speeches and people ask, what was Harold doing today or how's Harold? Um, since it was such a war, uh, a daily war between Bordeaux, Locke, and Harold's gang, um, it, people followed the news, which was, I think, really, really important because you can't build activism and better government if people aren't paying attention. Um, so it was a really extraordinary time in that sense, even though some of the news was hard to take, like I say, some of the racism and stuff, but 
that was important. Now, of course, a lot of that, unfortunately, died out after he passed away. Hmm. Um, and it was things, he was the one that really uh, originated a lot of the school reform movements, uh, trying to clean up some of the CHA, Chicago, Chicago Housing Authority messes, um, um, some really good things about the budget on how to make some of the bond ratings were better because of what he did. Um, so just lots of things. Uh, could have been much yeah. more had he lived longer. So, yeah, let's uh, get into that. You're at home. You're at his office. Where, where were you when you heard? Or were you there? I was in the ward up in the 49th Ward. I was actually in Edgewater, which was part of the 49th Ward. And I was visiting a troublesome bar, um, liquor store, actually, a liquor store that I had to go there often on Granville because they just didn't follow the rules and so forth. And we didn't have cell phones then. So when I came back, uh, not dressed up, stopped at my aldermanic office, uh, they grabbed me and said, something's happened with Harold. You got to you got to get dressed and get that town as fast as possible. Um, so I did, and of course I was talking to people as I was going down there. No, I, I guess I, I take that back because we didn't have the cell phones. And I got down there, and it was pretty clear as soon as I got down there that uh, Harold was not going to survive. And I was down there before it was pronounced dead. And then there was you know a little politicking going on because before we made the official announcement, um, they wanted to Politically, they want to make sure they got Tim Evans there and um, trying to get all the appropriate people at the hospital to make the formal announcement. Um, as usual, Burke knew about what was going on before everybody. I think some of his police channels or fire channels or whatever, uh, fire chief, and uh, he was able to hear a lot of things that other people didn't. So he had heard about this and people started playing immediately. Um, and then it was just kind of a whirlwind. I mean, for me, it was crazy because I knew the law. I knew the vice mayor became mayor. Most people didn't understand it at all. They particularly did not understand why the vice mayor became mayor, but instead of, instead of the next election, which normally is the case, lieutenant governor, vice president, only until the city council makes a replacement. Since I was vice mayor, I knew that law, which is another fascinating thing that I, I can't tell you factually, but I bet a lot of money on it. Ed Burke wrote, um, remember the vice mayor statute is fairly new. Do you want to hear about this too? This Willie Frost? Pardon? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I do want to hear. Yes, you do. Okay, well, yeah. well anyway, just interesting because uh, um, we never had a vice mayor. It was, it was a, basically a modern thing after old man Daly died in 76 and there was that fight and Wilson Frost, who seemed to be in line, but he was black and they weren't going to let that happen. So part of the compromise is they agreed to go to Springfield and write legislation which would allow um, the city of Chicago to have a vice mayor. And the vice mayor would become mayor upon the mayor's death. Um, and But remember, I'm sure Burke wrote it, and remember, we, we, we talk about a strong mayor, but it was a strong city council on, on paper. Um, and so it was written that the vice mayor would become mayor, but only until the city council picks a replacement. So it kept, you know, it kept them in control. Well, so you, you you're keep... now officially the mayor of Chicago. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was, um, you know, m- much of my time was spent, which you might say, um, honoring Harold and all the kind of uh, official things. I mean, it was 
I don't want to say it was a blur, but obviously it was um, took place pretty quick, and there was uh, all the political tones from the moment, you know, from you know. So he dies on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and on Thanksgiving Day we have the first major press conference. Um, you know, I I was quite aware that uh, the public was shocked that uh, many, 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 particularly African Americans, thought something was up, something poisoned or something. Many still believe that today. Um, so um, partly because I respect the Herald so much, I wanted to show that whatever transition there would be, um, that I was cognizant of that. So I tried very much to, to whenever I had press conferences, to have, um, like Ernie Bearfield, who was African-American on chief of staff, to have him close by. Um, so it was just, like I say, an intense. I don't... Um, you know, certain things happened. I barely knew it. I think, I think as early as Friday, maybe Saturday, but early as Friday the next day, somebody, I assume it was Jackie Grimshaw and others, arranged a meeting because I think at that time I think it was Governor Thompson. Um, basically, uh, it was a, a room full of most powerful corporate leaders, uh, and I think they frankly just wanted to meet me. It's like, who is this? Who is this guy? You know. <laughs> um, was there any thought of staying in the position, either by you or others? Or well, there was, you know, it was all that intrigue going on. I remember, I knew, um, I knew my days were numbered because they didn't want me to be there very long. Okay, they wanted to move. They, in fact, they tried to move immediately. It, it turned out it was actually a week before um, Sawyer was picked. But if they had their way, they would have moved um, as early as Friday. Okay, uh, and it was, they would have moved within a couple of days. Um, so I, my position was fairly simple. First of all, I didn't think um, that group was going to support someone like me. But I also thought it was inappropriate. I take these things seriously. I was mayor for a short time. Harold hadn't been put in the ground. And um, so what I basically said, which might have been misinterpreted, is that I will not discuss any political stuff, at least until Harold is properly buried. Um, I just tried to stay out of all that. And, you know, I, I may sound a little naive sometimes. I remember I mentioned the quick gavel earlier. Um, I made it clear to the aldermen, which includes Burke and others, that I wouldn't do anything I thought inappropriate. I wouldn't try and misuse what I call the authority uh, that I had. Um, and it was actually funny because at one point, um, you know, remember things were moving awfully quickly. But at one point, um, I think it was Dick Kay in that press conference on the Thanksgiving Day. For um, one, he was giving me a hard time for getting sworn in privately, as, as if I want a big self-victory thing. But um, also, you know, and I said in that press conference, I remember the context that I would not pull any shenanigans or blah, blah, blah. Um, but with hindsight, I realized um, so there were some schemes that might not have been such a bad idea. And what I mean by that is, uh, remember, um, the alderman had the next mayor had to be an alderman, okay? Mm-hmm. But I think people were scheming, and I talked to others about it, particularly Melton and stuff. Uh, and I think among those schemes were, hey, if we want African American, we need someone with more prominence. So what if we could get some alderman to quit and immediately appoint Cecil Partee, so maybe he could become mayor? Uh, among the white guys, I think there was movement to try and. Uh, have somebody get out and bring in Rostenkowski. 
Um, now, I my initial thing was I don't want to be part of any shenanigans. Um, and this didn't happen. I don't know how far it might have gotten anyway. But I, I do think there was some undercurrents there because, um, you know, people knew how Burke, who wanted it, was not going to get it and how Mel, who wanted it, wasn't going to get it. And, um, and um, some of the cooler heads in the, uh, the Burke, the Gilead was going by now, but on that side, um, and I felt that they, they just couldn't win with the, they couldn't get enough votes for white mayor at the time. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're, um, actually the press was probably the most supportive. I mean, if, if you look back at some of the clippings, I mean, I, a number of the political reporters kept saying, I don't know what's this Russian. Why don't they just leave war in? It seems to be doing a good job, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I know some of the African-American aldermen, particularly that felt under great pressure because they wanted to jump with Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, initially they did. And then remember Jesse Jackson was out of the country. Jesse Jackson comes back into town, siding with Tim Evans. And then it gets really wild and crazy. Um, and so a number of the aldermen, black aldermen, that signed on to have this immediate vote, they actually begin to peel away from that. Um, and I know um, uh, particularly one of them, they kept saying, well, uh, I mean, the act saying, well, Orr said he, we we had to move, we had to move right away because Orr said he didn't want to be mayor, uh, which is not true. I never said it. I just said I'm not going to even think about it or discuss it as long as you know it's not even the ground. Um, so I don't think that would have happened. The only thing that might have happened is if if the Burke side was not as successful in moving that quickly. And if there was a delay for a month or something like that, it might have been much more difficult um, um, to to select somebody else. Uh, in other words, our side might have said, hmm, "Let's see if we can, you know, if we can elect Evans, could we, you know?" I mean, so it was talk like that, but I just I, I didn't think it was very realistic, um, and I just wanted to stay away from it. You know, it's, it's been reported. We all know that, you know, Sawyer, you know, Sawyer was close to Harold. He supported Harold. He was also close to Doliac and the old machine. And, I mean, those stories are true. He really was very hesitant. Um, and he uh, he didn't, you know, he, he basically got to be talked into it over and over again. And, again, a lot of things can be said with hindsight. Um, but um, if there hadn't been that kind of immediate battle between Sawyer and Evans, there might have been a different way to do it if, um, you know, somehow if, if the Herald side, okay, said, okay, we want you, Sawyer, but you've got to represent us. You can't represent Burke and all the others. You know, I don't think it would have happened, but it could have been. So all that stuff was percolating. One of the more fascinating things, which could have made a difference historically, was on, remember, the vote was actually late Tuesday night. Um, but the meeting was scheduled for, I believe, 4 or 5 p.m. on Monday, the night before the big vote, uh, when there was supposed to be a meeting. Um, the top police, no, it was an FBI, it was, it was security in, in Chicago, but they came to me and they said, listen, we're really worried about security. Uh, we expect to have 20, 20, 25,000 people in the streets, you know, if this meeting takes place. And we're just worried with gangs. and They're, they're worried of volatility, okay? Let's assume that was all 
truthful what they were telling me. And they did request to see if I might check with both sides, meaning Sawyer and Evans, and see if if any of them were willing to delay the meeting so they could kind of plan better in, in case of security breaches. Uh, and so for a couple hours there, I was kind of going back and forth, and that was kind of fascinating. Um, Sawyer, Sawyer seemed to agree. So he said, yeah, if you really think that's a problem, then it's okay with me if we postpone it for a little while. Um, Tim um, was working very hard, thinking he had a shot, which with hindsight, I don't think he did. Um, but he didn't really want to do that. And then once Sawyer said something to, I think, Burke and Mel about this possible request to delay it, I think they shut that down. Um, so there, there was a actual move for that. And had it happened, and it was another couple of days, uh, I don't know what that would have done to that race. Probably not much, because um, uh, it was making it was more difficult for. Um, Sawyer could get the vote to the 29, but they didn't want to do that. If if Sawyer was elected with only white votes, it would look even worse. So they wanted as many African-American votes on their side, and many of the African, African-American aldermen knew Sawyer and liked him, um, but they would begin to peel off because of the pressure from Tim Evans' side and Jesse Jackson and others. So uh, had it gone longer, uh, and uh, fewer African Americans would actually publicly go for Sawyer. Things might have been different, but who knows? So tell uh, tell me, or, or more to the point, tell the listeners, uh, you know, the the setting of the big vote, the time, the place, you know. Well, uh, the meeting, like I say, was supposed to start at now. The, the, this meeting, the vote was supposed to start around four o'clock on Tuesday, and literally twelve hours later is when we installed a new mayor in the middle of the night. I refer to it as um, the world's longest political slumber party. Um, and so in those first out of four, it was just all sorts of meandering, negotiating, talk back and forth. Uh, so that was all delayed for several hours. Most of that talk was around, you know, the rumors of them meeting uh, with Sawyer and um, Sawyer not quite sure what he wanted to do and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, you have the story, supposedly Mel coming out of the room shouting, we got a mayor, we got a mayor. Um, so you had all that going on for several hours, okay? Uh, so many hours later, the meeting actually began, okay, many hours later. And I would I would say I would divide that into two sections once the formal meeting began later in the evening. The first section was the attempt of the Evans side to challenge the legality of what the majority was doing. Frankly, they did break the law that night, but sometimes you, you know, um, uh, I don't know how you say this, but uh, um, sometimes there's not much you can do about certain things. Um, so the point was that that part, which lasted at least two or three hours, in which the majority was angry with me as um, you know, I was running the meeting, was that the, the minority wanted to get all its points. I want to raise rules. So wait a second. How can you do this without two-thirds? Okay, and that was one of the key things. And the lawyers um, uh, for Harold, because the same lawyers you know, were still there, um, felt there was all sorts of problems with what they were doing. 
And so basically, again, that side wanted to bring up these things, bring up the rules. So, so that was the first part of what rules will take place in the city council to elect the mayor, okay? But they had the votes, and uh, the controversial thing when it came to me was, um, why did I not call on one of the 29 for a while? And um, you know, I explained this later, although some people rejected my judgment was quite simple. I knew the first time I called on any one of the 29, they would move to suspend the rules, and they would move for an immediate vote. And they had the votes. There's nothing I could do about it. And I just thought it was inappropriate that given all these questions about procedures, uh, given uh, the public's view of what the hell is going on, someone murdered Harold, and now they're trying to blah, blah, blah. I thought it was appropriate, and it was getting late into the night, to let them do their motions. And so that went on for a while. Um, and it was just my judgment. My judgment, I, okay, well, they've, they've had their chance. And that's, that's why Dick Mill, well, that's why people think Dick, Dick Mill got on the table. I don't think it's why I really got on the table. But Dick Mill stood on the table and stood kind of making fun of him not being recognized. He really got on the table because he wanted to remind everybody and hopefully his colleagues that people like me had to go. They were going to win their mayor, but they weren't just concerned about that. They were concerned. Remember, I talked about committees before. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you know, I was a committee chairman, and Tim Edwards was a committee chairman. In fact, I was vice mayor. So, um, uh, right before that, so that's what was really going on. They wanted to hopefully get Sawyer to knock all of us out, and that took several months before that happened. Um, but anyway, so I just, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you're really up there all by yourself. Um, there might have been people that might have kept it going for hours and hoped that maybe some miracle would happen and they wouldn't vote that night. I, my sense of fairness was, okay, I'm going to give, you know, the Herald side um, time. And they kept losing all these votes, 21, 29, 21. And so finally I said, okay, that's enough. And that's when I called on Eisendrat. Eisendrat was with the 29, but I knew as soon as I called on any one of them, they'd move to immediate vote, and that's what they did. And so then the second part started, and that was, now we'd approve the rules, okay? And um, so now we, the second part was basically debate over who, and of course they put Sawyer, and people fought back and forth. And then finally, a little before four in the morning, uh, there was the final vote, and of course Sawyer won. Uh, I left the day, as you know, I left the mayor's chair, he came up, sat there, um, maybe said a couple words and adjourned the meeting. Um, and so he was mayor right there. Uh, but frankly, there may have been another thing. Then um, well, what was up after that? I mean, how how was Eugene Sawyer as a mayor? What happened with your, you know, with your committee positions? When did you decide to, you know, to not run for re-election? You know? Well, okay, let me, I'll try not take us along on this. Well, remember from that moment, it goes around December 1st or so, uh, um, you know, everything changed. In other words, they, um, well, I shouldn't say that. In other words, you know, my view was that the old machine had won. And even though Sawyer uh, was a decent guy and um, compassionate and, um, I mean, I knew that the old guard was in control. Okay. And Sawyer, you know, remember, there's still some very good people at Harold had in his cabinet that Sawyer kept for a while. So that was, uh, so I mean, uh, Harold, um, 
um, I don't I want to say it's more popular in death, but I mean, you know, uh, once he was out of the way, even some of the regulars treated him uh, better, so to speak. So uh, Sawyer did try and do a number of things that Harold had been encouraging, even Young Daly when he came in a couple of years later. So key things happened. One is that there was a move um, to have a special election because, remember, there would have been more years left. But most progressives believe um, you shouldn't have too long like we do in Chicago all the time, you know, um, where sometimes someone dies in their first year in office, which Harold did. Remember, he was just six months in office. Um, and so usually for aldermen, if there's more than two years left in a term, um, there'd be a special election. So anyway, that all went to court. So that set the parameters that there would be a special election two years later, which would have been, um, you know, in 19... Uh, what was that? Uh, 89, okay? So you had that taking place over a period of time. You had uh, Sawyer um, trying to represent uh, some of the values of Harold, uh, but under great pressure from Fidelliac block, and I mean the Burke, well, that, that whole block, okay, to uh, to kind of return to the old. Uh, they don't like to admit it, but there was, I think, a, a great deal of that going on. Uh, and then they were successful in basically kicking all of us out. Uh, I was the first to go, I believe, in April of the next year. That would have been in um, 88. I was the first to go. Um, you know, the, uh, they're both convinced Sawyer to remove me as vice mayor, and they did on the same day that I introduced legislation to... The last part of that sentence was going to be regulate the aldermanic expense account, which Orr later described to me as a slush fund for aldermen. He proposed some safeguards and regulations and, later that day, was removed as vice mayor. He was the first of a purge of Washington's committee chair appointments. Alderman Tim Evans was next. Both would decide to leave city council over the next few years, with Orr starting a 28-year tenure as Cook County Clerk in 1990 and Tim Evans becoming a judge in 1992. Evans was selected by his fellow judges as Cook County Circuit Chief Judge in 2001, a position he still holds. You didn't get the last part of the last sentence because the call dropped. I have about a minute of audio of me and David Orr saying, hello, 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 can you hear me at each other if anyone's interested? We called back, chatted, and made plans for Orr to return for episode 19 to discuss another alleged slush fund, Chicago's tax increment financing system. As always, this is the Chicago Corruption Walking Tour podcast. If you want more, visit patreon.com slash corruption tour, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com, and corruption tour is one word, for extra episodes, including a live performance I did earlier this month, breaking down the stupidity of the term Chicago way. I'll see you Monday for a look at the two most recent governors to go to prison, but I'll leave you now with a few words from the man we've spent two days discussing, Chicago Mayor Harold Washington recorded in the small Harold Washington Museum on the ninth floor of the downtown library that bears his name. Last night I saw the dark problems, and today I see the bright promise of where we stand. Chicago has all the resources necessary for prosperity. We are at the crossroads of America, a vital transportation, economic, and business center. We are the heartland. We have a clear vision of what our people can become. That vision goes beyond mere economic wealth although that is a part of our hopes and expectations. In our ethnic and racial diversity, we're all brothers and sisters in a quest for greatness. 
our creativity and energy unequal by any city anywhere in the world. We will not rest until the renewal of our city is done.